Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday the 17th of August. I'm Tom Tilley and I'm joined by Annika Smethurst. And Annika, I've got to come clean about something. What's that, Tom? I cannot stop clicking on the Ellen DeGeneres stories. What do you think it is about this story that really piques your interest? I don't know. I do not care about her. I have not followed her career, but there's this sort of spiral, like a a death roll that she's going to get cancelled in real time or something for treating her staff badly. Sounds like tall poppy syndrome to me. I'm not that into the story. I'm a little bit worried about your addiction, though, more than anything. (laughs) I desperately hope it isn't true. I want Ellen to be the nice person we all think she is. Yeah, it's a strangely intriguing story. So we're going to find out why. We're actually going to speak to one of the world's best-known celebrity bloggers, Perez Hilton, on the show in just a moment. They were disappointed in her for not steering the ship in a much more positive direction. Yep, we'll find out what's really behind the Ellen story and why we click on them, why I click on them. Um, (laughs) All right, first, let's find out what's making news today. Now, kicking off with some good news this morning, Health Minister Greg Hunt expects we will have a COVID-19 vaccine by next year. We are well-placed, highly advanced in our negotiations, and for the first time, I feel cautiously but genuinely optimistic about the prospect of a vaccine. Oh, I like the tone of that there from Greg Hunt. Uh, That was him speaking on Sky in a response to a story you wrote in the News Corp papers yesterday, Annika, and the federal government's expecting to lock down a deal to manufacture a successful vaccine here in Australia, but Shadow Health Minister Chris Bowen is worried we're already behind the eight ball. First government to enter into an advanced supply agreement for a vaccine did so in mid-May. We're now in mid-August. So is he right? Are we behind the eight ball here? Look, Chris Bowen is correct that other countries entered into these sort of licensing deals back in May, and that's what prompted me to go and find out what was happening. But it's not a cue in the traditional sense. It's not like we sign a lease next week or a licensing agreement and therefore we get it behind other countries. What's looking like happening is we're going to sign up with the Oxford vaccine first. AstraZeneca is a pharmaceutical company. They're working with that successful Oxford vaccine and they're due to get their results next month, at the end of next month. Fingers crossed it's successful, but that means we could actually make it in Australia. Now, we have a really amazing drug company here that makes vaccines called CSL. They've got about 30 sites around Australia, and we're trying to work out how we can get this vaccine from Oxford, make it in Australia to vaccinate Aussies. Second to that, we're also in this international buyers club, which is really important because it lets poor people from, you know, countries that might not have the resources to get this vaccine. Richer countries put in a lot of dough. And then if we come up with a vaccine, it spreads it. So we all get equal access to it. So Australia's really hedging its bets on a few different vaccines. There's also one at the University of Queensland. And hopefully, fingers crossed, Tom, within the new year, we can all get access to this jab. What about the uh, Russian vaccine? Is anyone taking that seriously? Look, no one I spoke to seems to be taking that one too seriously. There are 160 different vaccines in production at the moment, and six of them are in those final stage trials, which means they've been tested on large numbers of people, and most of them are meant to report back sort of within September, October, November. So we're hoping that we might hear some good news in the coming months. Victoria's state of emergency has been extended for another month to September 13. Outside wartime, I don't think that we would have had a similar set of arrangements in place 
for this long. Premier Daniel Andrews speaking there, but the good news is case numbers in Victoria are trending downwards. There were 584 new infections over the weekend, that's on both Saturday and Sunday, but that's a big drop from the 860 the weekend before. I'm always very cautious, uh, but there is a, on my part at least, there is a cautious optimism uh, and a sense of real hope that this strategy is working and that we are seeing numbers fall. Yeah, I think part of the reason for his reservation there is that there were still 20 deaths over the weekend in Victoria. Around the rest of the country, New South Wales had just 14 cases over the weekend. Sadly, there was one death though. South Australia and WA had one new case each. They were return travellers and there were no new cases in the other states. In New Zealand, it looks like the September 19 election could be delayed with 13 fresh cases announced on Sunday. That means the total number of cases linked to the outbreak in New Zealand, New Zealand's first after 102 days, remember, is now 49. Yes, and that's led New Zealand to extend their restrictions, uh, stage three in Auckland, stage two in the rest of the country until August the 26th. More good news this morning with hundreds of international students expected to fly into South Australia next month as part of a nation-first trial to revive our struggling higher education sector. A careful pilot program is the right approach to take and I'm confident the SA government, having done such an exemplary job in terms of managing quarantine facilities and the return of international arrivals to date, will be able to do exactly the same thing with international students. That's Senator Simon Birmingham there. So 350 students... Uh, as part of this first trial, will come from Singapore in early September. It's understood that they'll arrive in a separate area of Adelaide Airport to the general public. Uh, Universities will then pay to have them quarantined in hotels for 14 days. Uh, This is an important sector, isn't it, Annika, to get back on its feet? Yeah, look, the Department of Home Affairs said last month that overseas student visa applications plunged by more than 30%. The money that they bring to universities is really important to keep staff on. It brings so much money into the country. So a good first start there. Yeah, and you'd hope that they can run some trials throughout the back end of this year and then get it at least somewhere resembling normal by first semester next year. Fingers crossed for a vaccine, Tom. All right, Annika, we'll catch you tomorrow. Um, In just a moment, Jamila Rizvi will be with you as we talk Ellen DeGeneres. It's Jamila Rizvi here, and it's time to talk about Ellen DeGeneres. For decades, she's been one of the most popular talk show hosts in the world, and this is how she sold herself. Consider me your professor. This is like kindness 101. Be kind to one another. Be kind. Try to do something kind this week. Be kind to everyone. Be kind to one another. But this year, that carefully curated image that's based all around kindness has started to unravel. Multiple former employees and staffers have come forward to reveal that her work environment is anything but safe, fair and fun. Ellen DeGeneres is under fire again after more co-workers from her show have stepped forward with accusations of a toxic work environment. Accusations of racism in the workplace. Alleging incidents of harassment, sexual misconduct and assault from top producers on the show. Yeah, so you get a sense of some of of the allegations there. And I got to say, Jamila, I just can't stop clicking on these Ellen stories. I don't even care about her or her show, but there's something about it. And the reason we wanted to go deeper on this on the show today is that it appears to be a kind of a new sort of celebrity tank down story happening here. One that could only exist 
in the digital and social media age. It feels like we're watching a a slow-motion car crash celebrity cancellation. Let's see what Perez Hilton thinks of the unfolding Ellen story. He's probably the world's most infamous gossip blogger and responsible for breaking some of the biggest celebrity stories of all time. Perez, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. Are you at all surprised the Ellen story is getting so much traction? No, because she's extremely popular and beloved by many. I'm surprised that this hasn't happened sooner because those in the industry have heard the stories about Ellen. What I had not heard about prior to 2020 was the work culture at her show. I thought it was just Ellen and and the repeated stories that I would hear from friends and, and colleagues. But as we've learned and as has been confirmed by the show's producers, a lot of changes are going to be happening because a lot of inappropriate things took place for a decade plus on the set of her show. And she needs to take accountability, which I don't know if she's done that very well yet. She did an excellent job of placing the blame on others, but from multiple reports, She was in the room a lot of times when this one executive producer was screaming at people. I don't know about you, but I think that screaming at somebody in a place of work is not professional and shouldn't be tolerated. Well, yeah, some of the allegations are quite serious around the senior producers, including sexual harassment. But it seems like the central allegation against Ellen is that she's not nice to work with. Is that really such a big deal? I don't think that's the main issue that a lot of people have with Ellen. I think from what I've read and the dozens of employees that have spoken, they were disappointed in her for not steering the ship in a much more positive direction. Because like I mentioned, she was aware of what was happening. I remember one quote that I read from an employee that she said, oh, everybody, every set needs to have their dog in allusion to this one executive producer being a bulldog and bullying people around. A friend of mine, one of his best friends, is that female comedian who also used to be a waitress that was almost fired from a restaurant because Ellen complained to the owner of the restaurant that she had chipped nail polish. These allegations, I never heard them against Oprah Winfrey and that work environment and culture. You know, I I don't believe that people are lazy or want special treatment. I think they just want fair treatment. You know, when you sign up to work at a show like Ellen, you expect long hours and you expect it to be consuming of your life, but you don't expect to be propositioned sexually or inappropriate touching or any of the other allegations that have been levied against some of the people that were in the positions of power on The Ellen Show. Yeah, especially when the motto is be kind. It's their job to be likable. And if that means having to pretend that you're warm and fuzzy or nicer than you really are, then I don't find that problematic. You know, she puts on a good show and that's what matters. But like I said, you should be able to put on a good show, but also you need to make sure that everybody is treated with respect and professionalism. Perez, you've covered many celebrity downfalls over the years, but do you think in this 
this current era with the way Twitter and other social media platforms work, also the cultural changes around people sort of checking their privilege or more accountability on how people use their privilege, that we're seeing a new kind of almost like slow motion car crash celebrity cancelling story play out here? You know, I did an interview recently about cancel culture, and it's fascinating because what we are seeing in 2020 is something that I've never seen before on this scale. It's happened to me repeatedly throughout my career (laughs) where people want to cancel you for things that you did in the past not even mistakes that you currently made. And what's fascinating is we're seeing so many instances of people getting canceled for the same thing. That's why I don't even really believe in being canceled. Nobody's canceled. You're canceled for the week or the month (laughs) until the story has run its course. I'm not saying it should be completely forgotten, but I do believe that we need to give people the opportunity to repent, be genuinely remorseful, to grow, to learn, to be better and to do better. That's Perez Hilton. So clearly Perez believes she deserves the criticism. In a way, I wonder whether this is bigger than Ellen, that this is a story unique to the current social media and cultural climate. Part of me thinks you might be right, Tom, and the other part of me thinks it's just a case of schadenfreude, that we like seeing other people sad or fail. Like, it's almost there's bloodlust going on. I think we seem to enjoy seeing a successful person brought down. Eleanor Gordon-Smith is an ethicist working out of Princeton University. She's going to help us unpack some of these difficult questions. <laughs> Eleanor, what is it about this story that makes it so addictive to click on? We've all like read tabloid stories where we feel like we have access to the fact that someone else has done something bad. But to be able to feel like they've done something morally bad is kind of like an additional sort of power trip. It makes us feel like not only do we get the salaciousness of of wanting to click on the, the negative thing, but we feel good for clicking on the negative thing. You know, we feel like what we're doing there is like standing up for important values. It wasn't just any bad thing that this celebrity had done. It was the specific kind of bad thing that was the antithesis of the whole brand. So it's, it's one thing to kind of discover that, you know, so-and-so is a bit of a diva behind the scenes or so-and-so complains about waitresses or like this celebrity kind of like isn't all that nice once they're off stage. But for that to be a celebrity whose whole thing has been built on being like empathetic and kind, there's a real sense of like gotcha or um, hypocrisy or something kind of almost like Greek tragic fitting about the sense that not only is this person doing wrong, but they're doing a specific kind of wrong, which they told us all not to do in the first place, you know? Do you think we've entered a bit of a new era in the media, um, the way that sort of social media has, you know, started interacting with traditional media, um, online reporting, the kind of metrics that flow from that, the business model that's built around online reporting and what gets clicks? Um, it does seem to lead us towards more salacious kind of stories. Do you think these celebrities who are at the centre of these sort of long car crash kind of takedowns are are victims, you know, obviously some of the criticisms obviously, you know, fair enough, but but victims of a new kind of media story that plays out over a long period of time in traditional online and social media? Yeah, I think I think one thing that really feels different in the landscape at the moment is the sense that 
these kinds of protracted car crash, you know, inverted commas, cancelings, that there's some kernel of morality to them. You know, we, we have this sense lately that, that what we do when we pillory people over this length of time is kind of done in the name of justice. Like we're doing something good as a result of that. And sometimes we are. And sometimes for all it can seem like this person is suffering tremendously at the hands of a very judgmental public. It's also true that they still have millions and millions of dollars and they still go on to sell their Netflix specials and you know, Louis C.K. comes back over and over again. Like it's often true that in the end, the kind of the total damage to the actual material interests isn't that bad. But nonetheless, I think it's it's really changed the climate. It's really changed the sense of how persecuted you can be for these kinds of mistakes. That's going to have enormous effects and enormous kind of traumatic repercussions on people. And, and I think that kind of contagion between the celebrity network and the wider social network, that's really enabled by social media. And to my mind, anyway, that's, it's quite new and it's quite sinister. I think Eleanor has made some really interesting points there and some things I hadn't thought about before, because I think she's right that part of the really jarring nature of these allegations about Ellen come from the fact that this all feels very hypocritical when we think about her brand, because her brand is built not only on kindness, Tom, it's also about credibility. When she came out to Oprah Winfrey back in the 90s and was on the cover of Time magazine, that was a huge moment and it was really brave. And I think as a result, the fact that she came out when so many celebrities hadn't, that lent her a sort of authenticity. Yeah, and that's being undermined now. I, I definitely think that's a huge part of it. I think the other thing is she's, she's sort of caught in these these new crosshairs of call-out culture, social media, and also just the way the new digital news media works. You know, what, what gets clicks, what gets eyeballs in this, in this new media age? Let's let Perez Hilton have the final word on this, Jamila. We asked him about how this could end for Ellen. How does she stop this kind of death roll? I think that she could address it on her show. That would probably be a good thing. She's never addressed it publicly at all. She addressed it to her staff and that email leaked. And even that I thought was lackluster. She could have done it in person. She could have told all her staff to show up and spoken to them outdoors in the parking lot if she was concerned with social distancing and coronavirus. Or she could have done it in, in a Zoom or a video. I understand why she didn't. She probably was afraid of that leaking, but the email leaked anyways. And that was probably strategic, you know, by design. Seeing a human side to Ellen would really help her. All right. And here's where I go into real crisis PR mode. Yeah. If she cries, that would get her a lot of sympathy. They need to I see blood. Yeah, they need to see pain. Down. Exactly. I want to see her break down and, and <laughs> explain to people how hurtful this has been for her and lie even. <laughs> this, is, this is the real, like, like she could lie and say, I truly had no idea this was happening. Or she could be honest, whatever. I just think people, whatever she does, I think people want to see her and hear from her. And if she does cry, if she is convincing, that could do a lot of good. Perez, do you think she could end up losing her show? Do you think this could keep getting worse and worse? No, absolutely not. Ellen is not going anywhere. It's already been confirmed that she is coming back. And she had already signed up for more than one season in her renewal. It is a possibility that she may just say, I want to end early and I'm done with this. It's not worth it. She had, in my mind, already checked out anyways. 
You know, if you watch Ellen regularly, she has so many guest hosts. She doesn't film that many episodes a year. She filmed a fair amount. I thought she was over it already before she renewed. And then she renewed what seems to me was just a financially motivated decision. And she confirmed to the New York Times a year or so ago that she had been thinking of retiring from the show, but she's still around and not going anywhere anytime soon. (laughs) All right. Cutting and insightful. It's what we love you for, Perez. Thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing in Australia. You're welcome. Have a good one. Well, if anyone can predict the celebrity future, it is Perez Hilton. (laughs) So I'm going to stay tuned for some tears, I suppose. Maybe when we see a crying Ellen fronting up on the set of her show, that's when her redemption narrative can start to begin. All right. Thanks for listening to today's briefing. Uh, Tomorrow, we're going to take you to New Zealand. They're going through a very tricky phase of their elimination strategy at the moment. We'll find out how that's working. Speak to you then. A Podcast One production.